0: Hi to our podcast audience and to our online listeners. While we know you are listening, it really helps when you take a moment to subscribe. The more subscribers, the greater reach. It's super easy. Go to lauraflanders.org forward slash listen. There are direct links to the many platforms where you can subscribe. And for all our lovely fans, please consider putting that love into action by becoming a member. We're independent from corporations and government but we are dependent on you. Go to patreon.com forward slash the LF show and become a member. Members receive special bonus content and we've got some great stuff coming up. Help us get a jump on reaching our goal of 100 patrons by the end of the year. Recruit, recruit. We're over halfway there. Now on with this week's show. Hi, I'm Laura Flanders, and this is The Laura Flanders Show, the TV and radio program that seeks to raise radical spirits by interviewing forward thinking people with real life models of shifting power from the few to the many in the worlds of arts, entrepreneurship, and governance. This is
1: what we have to do. We have to bring street heat on the inside, we have to do it on the outside, and we have to be willing to stand up for the things that we know are necessary.
0: All around the world, as we head into election year 2020, people are rising up against austerity, authoritarianism, broken government, and a broken economy that hurts them and the planet. So what's happening in the U.S.? We've come to Washington, D.C. to look at the way that congressional leaders and movement groups are figuring out how to collaborate going into this important presidential election of 2020. This is Laura Flanders Show, coming to you from the Progressive Strategy Summit and the street. Of Washington, D.C. It's all coming up on the Laura Flanders Show, the place where the people who say it can't be done take a back seat to the people who are doing it. Fuck. We are here in some back room of Union Station in Washington, D.C., where the She the People Organization combined with the Progressive Caucus Strategy Summit. To kick off a conversation about change within the party and within the Democratic Party's relationship with social movements, the kind of conversation I haven't seen before. My old friend and colleague Amy Allison is a key, not to mention the key player in all of this. Amy, what's different? What's changed? What are you doing now?
2: Well, what's changed is 2016 broke the old rules, which rendered women of color invisible, Think about the social justice movements that are most impactful today. Those are led mostly by women of color. And yet, if you look at the whole ecosystem, what organizations get the money, what leaders are typically lifted up, it isn't women of color. So there's been a disconnect for a long time. I'm going to argue that the progressive movement, the left wing of the Democratic Party, was in a losing position because they just didn't get racial justice right and weren't able to speak the language and the politics of intersectionality and weren't able to say, look, if we do not speak to women of color, we're not going to be successful in our politics. So talk about it. You said you are going to build a movement the like of which we have never seen. How will it be different? We're leading a multiracial coalition that's going to make sure that our politics— drive this country and now we have the numbers the vision and now the the courage political courage um, and even more importantly a link between movements and elected officials to actually set the agenda part of the way that we have this whole new group of really amazing freshman congresswomen like deb holland ayana presley and ilhan omar who were on stage with us tonight is because of the the kind of organizing that we saw that was was different and focused on and centered the kind of multiracial power building that that needed to happen. My advice to people who want to win, these guys don't get to tell us what to do anymore. The path to victory is not in convincing some Trump voter to switch teams. The path to victory is to get our people who agree with our politics engaged invested and out to vote what's your ultimate goal we need elected leaders who come from movement like the women that were on that stage who stay deeply tied to movement to give them power strength and guidance as they move forward and that's that's governance we want to govern and ultimately That will be the test is whether we're able to say to sit in Congress, in the Senate, in the state legislatures and and be calling the shots. It's not like we're a monolith, but we're overwhelmingly the most progressive group. And we will lead that that political new era that I think the country's ready for.
0: There are a lot of us, I think, who came into 2000 to to the election of 2016 and realized the results of it were not business as usual, that this was what some people called a five alarm fire. So my last question to you really is how you
2: see this moment
0: and how you think about business as usual, or if
2: you agree that we are in this kind of a not business as usual moment. We're we're at the end of an era. Uh, The country that we live in is becoming majority people of color and There are many, many millions of us who are insisting that our democracy become a multiracial democracy. Anything less is like apartheid, when you have a small group that controls a lot of people. And that small group is white and has wealth. So the struggles that we see across the globe mirror the kind of challenges that we have here. The hopeful thing is that we can unite over a common set of values. I mean, it's certainly what grounds my politics. I always like heart politics is to love our own and others, and to make justice a law of the land, and create a country where everyone belongs. And my greatest hope, and truly, the the reason I think I was born, was to bring people together across race, across race and gender, as bridge people, in this language and spirit of solidarity. I get that it's not everyone and it doesn't have to be. We don't need to change a lot of minds. We just have to find our people. And finding our people and organizing with our people is the transformation that we need right now.
0: That was Amy Allison, founder and president of She the People. From Union Station, we headed over to the Progressive Strategy Summit, a gathering of progressive leaders from in and outside of Congress. To ask the question, is 2020 a politics-as-usual moment? And if not, what does it require? We're here at the Progressive Strategy Summit. And as always, we're hearing that this coming election, <laughs> 2020, is the most important election of our lifetime. Congressman Sheila Jackson Lee from Texas's 18th,
3: 18th district, historic the district that Barbara Jordan held.
0: What would she say about <laughs> this moment? What do you say about this moment? Is it different from all the others?
3: Well, her voice would be so booming she'd say, get up and just do it. Um, The heart, really, of this nation is near ripped out, Um, just in a mere three years. This election should be the moment that we tell those who we have drawn to us, who came out in 2018, that we're standing alongside of you and we're not gonna give up.
0: So does this moment call for different tactics? Are we up against something different?
3: What I would say is different tactics, yes. Different tactics is that we're not going to give up. We're not only going to fight as it relates to uh, elections, but we're not against uh, protests. We're not against letting people know that they're not going to, we're not going to go away quietly. It's got to take a constant refrain that we won't take this anymore or we're standing up against it.
0: I saw you sitting there in the front row of the She the People mm-hmm. gathering this afternoon. <laughs> what were you thinking? What were you feeling perhaps as you as you sat there?
3: Well, first of all, I was so proud of my colleagues. Um, I'd like to think I'm an uh, elder stateswoman <laughs> um, that is very young. But um, I was really proud of them. I'm excited about how we can craft a victory in 2020 with she the people power. And you are correct. Um, It's a new day, and I do feel it's a new day. And I feel that we should use that power, Uh, and that power should be for the good of the people, but the good of women who um, have had their share of second and third class positions in life, and particularly women of color. Earning the least uh, in the jobs that others did not want suffering indignities, I think it's beautiful to see us blossom.
0: That was Congressman Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas's 18th District. In addition to talking to some of the movers and shakers in the Congressional Progressive Caucus, we also caught up with some leading activists like Alicia Garza, co-founder of Black Lives Matter.
4: It is not going to be sufficient for us to uh, just think that getting a new president in the White House and then giving power back to the Democrats is what is going to make this country better. It will stop the bleeding for a little bit, but there is hemorrhaging happening here. I knew that Donald Trump was going to get elected, and I had no illusions about that. And the reason I had no illusions about that was because, while some of us were talking about populism on the left. The right was building a populist movement that won power in this country. And I have never been mistaken uh, that this is bigger than Donald Trump. This is about a, a deep schism that has widened uh, to the point where there has to be a different way of moving forward. We actually have to articulate who we are again. I don't think this is a fight between Democrats and Republicans. I don't think this is a fight between the left and the right. I think this is a fight for um, the moral center of this project that we're trying to build together. I do not think that we can just work harder and things are going to change. I don't think that if we change who's in the White House, things are going to change. There is so much damage that has been done um, that we are in a very different moment and To undo the damage that has been done is going to take us at least a decade. But to be honest, things were not great before this administration took power. And so what we actually have to heal right now is people's complete disgust with government and its inability to meet the needs of its citizens. Um, And we also have to figure out how we solve some of the biggest problems facing America and how we do it together and how we do it in ways that I don't think we've really imagined yet.
0: How do you connect your work around Black Lives Matter and police violence and the carceral state, and this other work that you're talking about mm-hmm. around
4: healing and elections and yeah. and dealing with trauma? It's all one and the same. So, when Black Lives Matter first emerged. Uh, it emerged around issues of state-sanctioned violence, the most visible of which was police violence. And we would constantly say, state violence takes many, many forms. It's not just about policing, but policing is the thing that we're all paying attention to because it's being captured on cell phones around the world. The state uses violence to contain and control, to quell the resistance that inequality generates. Uh, I was you know, off on a trip and I was reading about rolling blackouts that were happening in the richest city in the nation, right? How is it that in the San Francisco Bay Area, the home of venture capital and tech capital, that people can be without power? And that is because of the increasing control of corporations over our government and the increasing relinquishment that our government gives to corporations to do whatever they want and to line their pockets and to not regulate them. All of these things are related. This deep level of economic insecurity, this deep level of material insecurity, and the rebellion that rises from that. Um, state violence is used as, an, as a way to control and contain that. And if they have to kill you, they will. And do we believe it that what's at stake here are our lives? What's at stake right now is our actual futures. The progress of the problems that are plaguing this country have accelerated. Since this administration took power. And what's really at stake is not just the issues that I care about, but my ability to be able to make decisions over my life and the people I care about and the people I love. And I'm not willing to give that up without a fight.
0: That was Alicia Garza, co founder of Black Lives Matter. This is The Laura Flanders Show. I'm Laura. This week, we're featuring women of color leading from Congress to the streets. From the Progressive Strategy Summit in Washington, D.C., to some of the activists getting arrested around it. They're all on a mission to transform government and transform this country. The Laura Flanders Show airs over the Pacifica Radio Network and is available through PRX. A big thanks to the radio stations airing the show. Our work and the work of your community radio station wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for your membership. If you're not yet a member of your station, do consider becoming one. And if you're saying to yourself, I don't even have a radio, remember you can stream your local station via a smartphone or tablet. It's more than just a station. It's a community, your community. So get connected. And as a favor to all who are listening via podcast or online, please check your community radio station's schedule to see if they are airing your favorite show, like this one. And if not, contact them and ask them to add the program to their lineup. Or drop us an email at podcast at lauraflanders.org and we'll reach out. That's podcast at lauraflanders.org. I encourage you to connect or reconnect with your station. They are on the front line, covering what matters where you are. Thanks. Coming up, I speak with disability justice activist Mia Ives-Ruble and head to Capitol Hill where I interview Jane Fonda at a fire drill Friday a weekly vigil inspired by young people like Greta Thunberg, demanding action by our political leaders to address the climate emergency. Then, while I'm in jail, our creative director, Matt Colacello, interviews Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. That's all coming up, but first, here's Save It or Lose It by Funk Rimini, part of the Earth Night 2019 compilation, curated by DJs for climate action courtesy of earthnight.org a global initiative harnessing the power of music and nightlife to celebrate and support climate action Ives Ruble was one of the organizers of the 2016 Women's March, a disability justice activist who thinks a lot about ableism in the current context and the need to integrate disability consciousness into all that progressives do.
5: We, we identify as progressives. We see ourselves as people of color, and we also see ourselves as disabled people of color. And we want to see our politicians addressing the issues that not only just align with you know, health care and education, which is what we always hear when people are talking about disabled people. We also want to hear about issues of police brutality. We want to hear about immigration. We want to hear about transportation issues. We want to hear like a wide span of issues that really affect us but have never been addressed. So I think one big thing is just getting politicians to recognize that we are a voting population and that we are an important voting bloc because we are twenty five percent of the population and that's a huge percentage to be ignoring. And we're we're also seeing some of our peers who are being shot by police because they call for mental health help. And so I think what we want to see is politicians really getting a grasp on that. And I think we've begun picking and getting more politicians to start noticing us and i think that's going to be a big 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 thing as we continue on in the 2020. how's the trump threat
0: connected to the rest of your work
5: i think people don't realize that all of these oppressions all coalesce and interconnect with each other how ableism is part of white supremacy and the belief that there's a better or superior race, right? And I believe that you can look throughout history and look at, like, when did we start identifying issues around disability? And that was around the time of understanding how the economy worked and how there was an importance put on work. And I think understanding how people have been disenfranchised from being able to obtain work and people choosing who belongs in society and who doesn't, there becomes this fascination and this tie of like, are you human enough and are you worthy enough to be called human and and deserving of of a presence in society when you're looking at disability and then you add on an issue of race and you add on all of these other issues. It's all tied in together on who who is worthwhile in, in talking about who deserves what in society. So is it just about getting Trump out of the White House? No, no. If we get somebody like, say, Joe Biden, or we get somebody who just wants to go back to sort of what we have had in the past, are people going to still stick up for us? I mean, people were getting caged long before President Trump came into office, and, and there wasn't a lot of outcry. People like Obama continued policies that were, were hurtful f- to a lot of communities. And so I think there is a big fear that people just are so focused on Trump that they're not looking at like a, a lot of these societal structures that have continued these issues. And yeah, sure, it, Trump has sort of used that as a way to, to get what he wants. But if we don't demolish those systems and rebuild something new... We're just going to run back into the same issue and we'll have somebody 10, 15 years from now doing the same exact things, caging people. So the work goes on.
0: Yeah, of course. That was Mia Ives Rubly, disability justice activist. So it's not just members of Congress and social movement groups who are feeling an urgency here in Washington, right across town at the Capitol. Actress and activist Jane Fonda has been doing weekly vigils and arrests she calls "Fire Drill Fridays" for the climate. I caught up with her in a week focused on oceans. We're holding.
6: Uh, I've been working with Greenpeace and a number of other environmental organizations to to hold these Fire Drill Fridays. Greta says, "Our house is on fire." We have to behave like it is, so we're having fire drill Fridays. We have to do everything we can now, this is the time, we only have 11 years, leave our comfort zone and become more, more of an activist. The scientists now say that's what we need, we need massive numbers of people in the streets. to so not just vote, but a whole lot more. But, well, we have to vote, we have to vote for the climate, we have to vote for people that are not moderate, People who really understand that this is a time when it's too late for moderation, when we have to do something as brave as a Green New Deal. And then we have to stay in the streets to hold their feet to the fire. We can't just elect them and then go away. No matter how good they are, we have to keep pressuring with growing numbers and, if necessary, shut the government down.
0: Ted Danson, actor, activist, and author of Oceana, Our endangered oceans and what we can do to save them.
5: Hey, we can do this. We really can. It may be a little inconvenient, but it's not as inconvenient as fires and floods and mass migration
6: and droughts and starvation. That's inconvenient.
0: Here's what some of the climate activists had to say.
6: Now, what do we want? Well, anyone who has children or grandchildren needs to be worried about this because we're running out of time to deal with food, water, clean air we i feel like our elected officials are doing nothing to stop climate change and yet it's an existential threat and now is the last moment to now is the 11th hour for us to take action horizon, so are
0: we rising so are we the climate crisis is having impacts now Right now, while we're speaking, there's much stronger wildfires and we're having routine blackouts in the United States of America and in one of the richest parts of the country in California, you know, so this is a crisis that affects everyone. We have a million species out of about 8 million on earth who are predicted to go extinct, you know, so this is an enormous crisis. We've done everything we're told we're supposed to to make change in a democratic society. None of it's worked, so we got to resort to civil disobedience. So here we are taking the streets. Are rising, so, are so we're live here at the Fire Drill Fridays. And I don't know about you, but I was super moved by a lot of what we heard this morning. Not just the idea that this isn't business as usual, we know that. But that this is really a matter of changing our relationship to the natural world and to one another. So I think I'm going to go get arrested because we do have to put our bodies on the line and our actions have to reflect our words. So Let's go join Ted and Jane on the steps. While I was being processed by the Capitol Police, along with about 30 other demonstrators, Laura Flanders show creative director, Matt Colicello, interviewed Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, about her take on what's called for now.
6: Can you talk about right now and what this moment requires of us is this a business as usual moment no
1: no so far from that i mean this is i think one of the most important moments in our history And um, when you think about all of the things that are happening, we are in the midst of a constitutional crisis, first of all, with a president who is abusing the power of the Oval Office that is completely disregarding Congress and the at least co-equal nature of our branches of government. And um, sort of at the same time that that really difficult stuff is all happening, we have the most progressive, the most diverse, House of Representatives in the history of Congress. Mm -hmm. And that is making a difference. When you have that kind of diversity, what you start to see is people responding to government in a very different way, and also a boldness of proposals, structural reforms, because so many of these diverse members of Congress come from really seeing the trauma on the ground of all of the working people, white, black, and brown, who are suffering. So, it's a moment, uh, you know, as an organizer for 20 years before coming to Congress, mm-hmm. I like to say that strength emerges in times of crisis. And that is, I think, what you see a movement that is unifying, a movement that is pushing for bold change that will mm-hmm. actually reform some of these deeply embedded problems that we have institutionalized racism, sexism, classism, and I think pushing for something very different.
6: How do we bring our movements into the Democratic Party or into government in general?
1: Well, I mean, we're here, you know, and the Progressive Caucus is a perfect example of this. We have see, there are 100 or 101 members um, in the House that are part of the Progressive Caucus. That's 40 percent of the entire Democratic Caucus. But more than that, there are the movements that support this work. It's important to get Trump out. However, that doesn't fix the problem. So structural reforms that we need, we need to take on white supremacy, we need to take on corporate supremacy, and we need to take on individual supremacy. And and then, of course, climate. We need to make sure that we are addressing the urgent crisis of climate, which, by the way, has all three of those supremacies that I mentioned tied right into why we are not making progress on, on climate.
6: Can you just talk a little bit about what it has been like since 2016, to be in this, this extended moment of crisis in our country, yeah. but also to be part of this cultural shift towards making the Democratic Party more progressive?
1: Yeah, well, I never wanted to be in office. You know, I, I was an activist on the outside and I was pretty skeptical of elected officials, but I suddenly realized that we are seeding, giving up this important space for organizing and um, when i was arrested right here in in dc leading a huge civil disobedience protest with a hundred women i realized that we have been pushing and pushing and pushing from the outside but why aren't we on the inside why do we have to push so hard to get our ideas taken seriously. And maybe what we needed to do was come on the inside and change the whole way that we think about organizing so that there isn't even an inside or outside, but that we have organizers populating all the most powerful platforms that we need to push for our progressive policies. I've tried to bring those principles to the work I do, how I craft a bill, we bring our movement partners into the room to craft the bill. How we organize protests or what happens when there's a horrible thing, like when I heard about the family separations and I was the first member of Congress to go into a federal prison and working with movement allies within three weeks we turned out half a million people into the streets. This is what we have to do. We have to bring street heat on the inside, we have to do it on the outside, and we have to be willing to stand up for the things that we know are necessary and not just go along with the things that seem possible right now. Our job always as activists and organizers is to push the boundaries of what's seen as possible. And now we get to do it from the
0: inside as well. So it has to be said that the Progressive Caucus only makes up about 40% of the Democrats in Congress. What power do they wield? Well, that'll depend a lot on their relationship with the movement groups that they want to build connection with when they have meetings like this one. Will they be able to do politics differently in 2020? We'll find out. But in the meantime, you can be sure there's gonna be more action happening in the streets and more people turning up the heat, both where they live and here in Washington. You can watch this show and see special extras on that Arrest at the Fire Drill Friday at our Patreon site, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash the LF show. That's also where you'll find more information on all my guests and some additional research materials. That's at patreon.com forward slash the LF show, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash the LF show. While you're there, think about becoming a member and helping us reach our goal of 100 members by the end of the year. If you're a member already, if you're part of our community, spread the word. Recruit, recruit. We're halfway there. Members unlock special audio extras, and we have some good ones coming up, including Eve Ensler on apologizing and Laurie Anderson on the sides of the con. Don't forget, we can't do this show without your support, so join us. This show is produced by yours truly, Laura Flanders, with Matt Colicello, Jeannie Harper, Tommy Tahifi, Natasha Gaspar, Nat Needham, and Sabine Blazin. The Laura Flanders Show is made possible from the Novo, Ford, Tomcat, Cloud Mountain, and Fonda Foundations, as well as by listeners like you. So thank you. Stay kind, stay curious. Until the next time, I'm Laura.